1: From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry Savannah, this is Obscure, Season Three, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer in chief, and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman, Esq. Exhausted today. Just I didn't I didn't sleep a wink last night. Just horrendous tossing. And turning in my bed, first I was hot, then I was cold, uh, my head was hurting, I wasn't ill, but I just could not get myself situated comfortably, my, uh, my body temperature would not regulate, it was abysmal, an abysmal evening here in Sultry savannah part of it's just i've been traveling so much you know and just got home late uh, late last night from uh the city of lost wages as they sometimes call it las vegas where i was participating in a, a poker television show which was a good deal of fun but man i'm paying for it now i went crazy there in las vegas i mean i was staying up past midnight i was playing poker i was I was cavorting, and then in a in a display of just absolute debauchery, I guess is what you'd call it, I consumed an entire bag of gummy bears that was in the uh, hotel room for purchase it wasn't a big bag but you know they they charge you know you get the in-room snacks you know you pay through the nose for those I probably dropped like six bucks on that bag of gummy bears I didn't even look at the price I was just like fuck it I'm in Las Vegas I'm gonna go crazy and I saw those gummy bears and I was just like mm, mm, mm. I don't even know when the last time I had gummy bears is years years and years of, uh, of a gummy bear less life and well that situation was rectified out there in Las Vegas. So yeah, it was it was it was off the chain. That's what it was. Just off the chain. Well now I'm back. And uh off to uh off to Scotland next week. Gonna hang out at the fringe festival with my friend Joe Stapleton, who has a show there. And uh so yeah I've just been I know every every time I begin one of these episodes. I'm I've just returned from somewhere. Well, I've just been traveling a lot, you know, accumulating miles, um, making people smiles. And all the while so I'm still finding time to read Wuthering Heights. It's just a joy, you know, to return to that misery after a fun weekend, because, you know, the shot was, oh, I'm I'm in Vegas playing poker on the TV. The chaser is And I get to come home and uh, and revel in the misery of these terrible creatures in the great American novel Wuthering Heights. And there is some writhing, there is some gnashing of teeth and beating of breast there at Wuthering Heights where Mr. Heathcliff has poor Isabella Linton practically held captive there in squalor and misery. It's just an atrocious living situation for her. And last time we spoke, Nellie had come over to visit and and Heathcliff has basically just unburdened himself on her, explaining that it's her own fault for falling in love with me. She She got these stupid notions that I'm some sort of romantic hero in her head. And she practically threw herself on me. And to teach her a lesson, I married her and am enjoying torturing her here in this place. Now he doesn't mean physically, it's more of a kind of spiritual and psychological torture because he says that he was careful to keep all of his well here's here's what he says in his experiments on what she could endure. But he says, "I keep strictly within the limits of the law." So he, you know, he's he's being cruel but not illegally so. And you know, I guess there's not much more you can ask for in a spouse than that. And he says, what's, uh, uh, uh well, I'll just read the last part of, of where we were. I have avoided up to this period, giving her the slightest right to claim a separation. And what's more, she'd thank nobody for dividing us. If she desired to go, she might. The nuisance of her presence outweighs the gratification to be derived from tormenting her. So he's basically saying, hey, sweetheart, there's the door. Don't, you know, don't, don't let it kick you in the ass on the way out. That's what he's saying. Um, and that's where we left it last time. You know, it's not, it's not as much fun tormenting her as he thought it would be. And that concluded his soliloquy of the last episode. It's where we ended it last episode. So let us pick it back up here on chapter 14, Wuthering heights. Mrs. Dean is responding to Heathcliff's soliloquy. Mr. Heathcliff, said I, this is the talk of a madman, and your wife most likely is convinced you are mad, and for that reason she has borne with you hitherto. But now that you say she may go, she'll doubtless avail herself of the permission. You are not so bewitched, ma'am, are you, as to remain with him of your own accord. Well, what do you think she's going to say? Uh, you know, what what does a beaten dog do when given the opportunity to leave? Does it stay or does it go? The Clash wrote a whole song about it with uh, Joe Strummer as the lead dog. So Isabella responds, Take care, Ellen, answered Isabella, her eyes sparkling irefully. There was no misdoubting by their expression the full success of her partner's endeavors to make himself detested. Don't put faith in a single word he speaks. He's a lying fiend, a monster, and not a human being. I've been told I might leave him before, and I've made the attempt, but I dare not repeat it. Only Ellen... I promise you'll not mention a syllable of his infamous conversation to my brother or Catherine. Whatever he may pretend, he wishes to provoke Edgar to desperation. He says he has married me on purpose to obtain power over him, and he shan't obtain it. I'll die first. I just hope, I pray, that he may forget his diabolical prudence and kill me. The single pleasure I can imagine is to die or to see him dead— And she's just saying this right in front of him, you know. It it seems like this is just the way Heathcliff operates in the world. Because everybody wants him dead. Heathcliff wants everybody dead, uh, except for Catherine. And of course, we already know that Catherine is going to be the one who does die. Although apparently Isabella may die as well. Death, death, death. He just brings it bustling around him. Wherever he goes in this way, again, he is like Frankenstein's creature. He's like the, uh, the goofus to the creature's gallant. I don't know if you remember Highlights for Children magazine, but one of my favorite features when I was a kid was goofus and gallant. And goofus was a boy who, uh, who, who given the opportunity, always made the wrong decision, gallant who I always assumed was his twin brother, would always make the correct decision, and then they would show you in cartoon form what Goofus did and what Gallant did. Well, Heathcliff is kind of the Goofus to Frankenstein's creature's gallant. Big Buddies is, is a little bit more gallant in his killings, in his bringing of death. Now, we don't know that Heathcliff has actually ever killed anybody, but he certainly desires to. And and that black heart, you know, just may get his way. So Isabel is saying she tried to leave, but but uh, she couldn't. We don't know why yet. Maybe we'll find that out at some point. There, that will do for the present. Said Heathcliff. If you are called upon in a court of law, you'll remember her language, Nelly. <laughs> if you don't get court, if you get summoned to court, geez. Heathcliff just does not foresee a good ending for him or anybody else here and take a good look at that countenance. She's near the point which would suit me. No, you're not fit to be your own guardian, Isabella, now, and I, being your legal protector, must retain you in my custody, however distasteful the obligation may be. Go upstairs. I have something to say to Ellen Dean in private. That's not the way. Upstairs, I tell you. Why, this is the road upstairs, child. He seized and thrust her from the room and returned muttering, I have no pity. I have no pity. The more the worms writhe, the more I yearn to crush out their entrails. It is a moral teething, and I grind with greater energy in proportion to the increase of pain. So he's he, he it, it he's training himself to be pitiless. It's like he wants to wring out whatever humanity he has in him. Whereas Big Buddy does everything in his power to seek out his own humanity. Man, somebody somebody should just do a kind of critical analysis between Wuthering Heights and Frankenstein because it is two different versions of the monster. What is a monster? How does one go about creating a monster? Is it self-created? I don't know. I do not know. Or is the monster Always the victim of circumstance, because it clearly feels like Heathcliff is trying to make himself into a monster. But maybe he feels like he must because the world rejected him, just as the world rejected Big Buddy. And uh, there is one oasis for him, and that is Catherine. And you know, you know, we remember Big Buddy. He just wanted Frankenstein to make him a lady friend. Hey, just make just just make me a lady friend, Shakespeare. That's all I need, Shakespeare. Just a lady friend. Then we'll then we'll swim across to South America. We'll swim across the ocean there to South America. Make some monster babies. But alas that never happened. And uh, you know, Heathcliff's like, hey Shakespeare, I just wa- I just want to get I just wanna get with Catrin again. Can't I just get with Catrin again? No? Then I'm gonna burn the world down. "'Mrs. Dean says, "'Do you understand what the word pity means?' "'I said, hastening to resume my bonnet. "'Did you ever feel a touch of it in your life?' "'Put that down,' he interrupted, "'perceiving my intention to depart. "'You are not going yet. "'Come here now, Nellie. "'I must either persuade or compel you "'to aid me in fulfilling my determination to see Catherine. "'And that without delay. "'I swear that I meditate no harm.' I don't desire to cause any disturbance, or to exasperate or insult Mr. Linton. I only wish to hear from herself how she is, and why she has been ill, and to ask if anything that I could do would be of use to her. Last night I was in the Grange Garden six hours, and I'll return there tonight, and every night I'll haunt the place, and every day... "'till I find an opportunity of entering. "'If Edgar Linton meets me, "'I shall not hesitate to knock him down "'and give him enough to ensure his quiescence while I stay. "'If his servants oppose me, "'I shall threaten them off with pistols. "'But wouldn't it be better to prevent my coming "'in contact with them or their master? "'And you could do it so easily. "'I'd warn you when I came, "'and then you might let me in unobserved "'as soon as she was alone, "'and watch till I departed.' your conscience quite calm, you would be hindering mischief. Well, then why didn't he just do that already, what he said he was going to do? If he's such a big, bad, brave man, why didn't he just go into the house already, knock down Edgar Linton, draw, you know, his brace of pistols and point him at the servants and scream, take me to her! You know, like some bandito. Well, he hasn't done it yet. So, you know, I'm thinking he's not going to do it. He's just a big bully. "'I protested against playing that treacherous part in my employer's house, "'and besides, I urged the cruelty and selfishness "'of his destroying Mrs. Linton's tranquility for his satisfaction. "'The common most occurrence startles her painfully,' I said. "'She's all nerves, and she couldn't bear the surprise I'm positive. "'Don't persist, sir.' "'or else I shall be obliged to inform my master of your designs, "'and he'll take measures to secure his house and its intimates "'from any such unwarrantable intrusions.' "'In that case I'll take measures to secure you, woman,' exclaimed Heathcliff. "'You shall not leave Wuthering Heights till to-morrow morning. "'It is a foolish story to assert that Catherine could not bear to see me, "'and as to surprising her I don't desire it. "'You must prepare her. "'Ask her if I may come.' You say she never mentions my name, and that I am never mentioned to her. To whom should she mention me if I am a forbidden topic in the house? She thinks you are all spies for her husband. Oh, I've no doubt she's in hell among you. I guess by her silence as much as anything what she feels. You say she's often restless and anxious-looking. Is that a proof of tranquility? You talk of her mind being unsettled. How the devil could it be otherwise in her frightful isolation? and that insipid, paltry creature attending her from duty and humanity, from pity and charity. He might as well plant an oak tree in a flower pot and expect it to thrive, as imagine he can restore her to vigor in the soil of his shallow cares. Let us settle it at once. Will you stay here, and am I to fight my way to Catherine over Linton and his footmen, or will you be my friend, as you have been hitherto and do what I request?' decide because there is no reason for my lingering another minute if you persist in your stubborn ill nature all right well um he's got a funny notion of friendship i think if he's calling her his friend you know cuz that runs that's that's a two-way street there pally she's been good enough to you but what have you been to her nothing but a pain in the rear end excuse my french but uh yeah, he's got a he's got a peculiar notion, you know. He's he's kind of like a uh, an Ayn Randian figure, you know. He's like Howard Roark or something. Which one is Howard Roark? An Atlas Shrugged or The Fountainhead? I can't remember, but the the uh, you know the the architect there or or the other or, you know the other all all of Ayn Rand's protagonists are these sort of cold, calculating, pitiless, almost machine like figures. They're cold and aloof and pursue their goals with a kind of unswerving aim. Terrible people. You know, she paints them as heroes, of course, but they're just not great people. Anyway, let's take a quick break. Back in a moment here on Obscure.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: Back and obscure, finding traces of Ayn Rand here in Wuthering Heights. You know, Heathcliff is basically saying, Step aside, Nellie. You know, you, uh, you know, help me out or get out of the way, because I'm coming. And when I come, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming rough and ready. He's gotta see her. He's gotta see Catherine in her sickbed to determine for himself her condition. But it's largely because of him that she's in this condition. He's the re- she, yeah, he's the reason that she got the vapors to begin with, you know? What is, what is he looking for from her? Some reinsurance? Reassurance? I'm stumbling over my words. You can hear how exhausted I am today. Just so tired. Um, fantasizing about napping, even as I speak with you. That's just not a good headspace to be in when you're trying to critically analyze American literature like I am. This takes all my synapses firing, and when I'm hung over from gummy bears, I just can't get myself together. So he's he's pers- trying to persuade Nellie to help him out, calling on her friendship. And let's see what she says. Well, Mister Lockwood. So now she he now she returns us to the present moment, for a change. Re- remember, this whole thing is being told to Lockwood, our narrator just like in Frankenstein. Well, Mr. Lockwood, I argued and complained and flatly refused him 50 times, but in the long run he forced me to an agreement. I engaged to carry a letter from him to my mistress, and should she consent, I promised to let him have intelligence of Linton's next absence from home when he might come and get in as he was able. I wouldn't be there and my fellow servants should be equally out of the way. All right, well, that's a, that's a decent compromise, I suppose. He'll have the run of the house, he can go in, he can talk to Catherine and get the hell out, okay? No fuss, no muss. nobody gets troubled, nobody gets bothered. Well, that sounds like good intentions to me, but we all know what the road to hell is paved with, do we not? Was it right or wrong? I fear it was wrong, though expedient. I thought I prevented another explosion by my compliance, and I thought, too, it might create a favorable crisis in Catherine's mental illness, and then I remembered Mr. Edgar's stern rebuke of my carrying tales, and I tried to smooth away all disquietude on the subject by affirming, with frequent iteration, that that betrayal of trust, if it merited so harsh an appellation, should be the last." notwithstanding, my journey homeward was sadder than my journey thither, and many misgivings I had, ere I could not prevail on myself to put the missive into Mrs. Linton's hand. But here it is, Kenneth. I'll go down and tell him how much better you are. My history is dree. Oh, there's a footnote. Wait, wait. Kenneth, isn't Kenneth the doctor, or is Kenneth Lockwood? I'll go and tell him how much better you are here is oh 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 i see i see i see i see i uh, see she she she's she's in the present right and uh and you know you remember lockwood came in from the rain all chills and shivered and then uh you know she he's been on the mend and so she's saying here's kenneth meaning the doctor i'll go down and tell him how much better you are my history is dree as we say and will serve to while away another morning so dree let's look up that on the old Footnotes. Dunt, dunt, dun, dun. oh, sad, dreary, dre, Dree and dreary. I reflected as the good woman descended to receive the doc. Oh, oh, no. So this is Lockwood talking. My goodness. There's no, there's no quotations or anything to indicate that, that uh, she's stopped speaking. But anyway, Lockwood says, Dree and dreary. I reflected as the good woman descended to receive the doctor, and not exactly of a kind which I should have chosen to amuse me. But never mind. I'll extract wholesome medicines from Mrs. Dean's bitter herbs. And firstly, let me beware of the fascination that lurks in Catherine Heathcliff's brilliant eyes. I should be in a curious taking if I surrendered my heart to that young person and the daughter turned out a second edition Of the mother. What daughter? Wait, what? I didn't understand that. Anyway, that's the end of chapter 14, but I didn't understand that. Hold on a second. Dreary and dreary, right? So sad and dreary. I reflected as the good woman descended to receive the doctor, okay? And not exactly of a kind which I should have chosen to amuse me. So his reflections are not there to amuse him, uh, but he's reflecting. But never mind, don't don't worry about that. I'll extract wholesome medicines from Mrs. Dean's bitter herbs, right? I'll take some medicine. And firstly, let me beware of the fascination that lurks in Catherine Heathcliff's brilliant eyes. Wait, Catherine Heathcliff? Catherine ends up marrying Heathcliff? What? I'm too tired to understand what's happening here. I should be in a curious taking if I surrendered my heart... To that young person, the daughter of Heathcliff, and the daughter turned out a second edition of the mother. So there's a Catherine Heathcliff in this book. Is there? Is there a young woman in this book th- that I have totally forgotten about? Mm, I guess so. I don't know. I, I, you know, honestly, honest to God, I don't know. Um. Should we stop there? I mean, it is the end of the chapter. Should we we just go a little short today? I guess so. You know, anytime you come to the end of a chapter, it's just such a good time to put the book down and stretch your weary limbs and contemplate another cup of tea. I've already gone through two. I don't think I'll have a third. Really, all I want to do is go back to bed. I'm uh, I'm just not with it today. But I had to record, you understand? had to obligated to record. Not that I didn't want to, but you know, you are churning out these episodes week after week. The kid's on a schedule. We've got to turn these things over. Look at he split. So we'll end there. Chances are I'm gonna crawl back into bed. And uh yeah, I guess that's it. Um I'm uh next time I speak to you maybe from Scotland. I gotta remember to bring the book with me across the pond there to the Bonnie Highlands of Scotland. Uh So we'll see. Anyway, anywho, hope everybody is doing as fabulously as I am. And uh, we'll discuss further exploits of Lockwood and Heathcliff and the whole gang on another, frankly, exhausted episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and the great Robin Lynn. Our theme song is by Craig Wedron. We rely on you, the listeners, for support. So please, go to patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. Sign up. There's all kinds of fun stuff. There's goodies. You could join the book club where we get together. We talk about the book that we're reading. Uh, and it's just a fun community. So, you know, head on over to patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black.